If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. We are ready to talk about the sixth skill in this Trout Bitten series, covering the nine essential skills for tight line and euronymphing. This episode is about locating the strike zone and drifting through it. Because the best drifts take our flies to the trout in the same way they see the natural nymphs all day long. That's near the bottom, but not right on it. And it's at a speed slower than you might expect. So we'll get to all of that in a moment. But let's say hi to my friend Austin Dando, who's here again to break this all down. Are you ready for the weekend, Austin? Oh man, am I ever. We have a, a good weekend coming <laughs> we up. We do. At the time of this recording, this coming weekend is Super yeah. Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we've got a fishing day on Saturday and a Super Bowl trout pitting party on Sunday. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I think we did this it's last a, year, the Super Bowl party yes, at least. Mm-hmm. I think so too. It might become a tradition. And you have to fish the whole day the day before. I have yeah. good news. What? So Aiden's basketball game was going to be right in the middle of Saturday and I right. wasn't going to really be able to join in the fishing. Right. But they moved his game to 6 o'clock. No kidding. I know. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> so he's like playing primetime basketball, and I can fish all day with you guys. That is great news. It's not too often that we're able to get everybody together right. in the trout pit and crew, right? Right. It's been a little while. It's hard to do. To get every, it is. It's responsibilities, yeah. right? Kids, jobs, Other stuff. those damn jobs. Yep. Yep. So we'll catch a few fish. It'll be fun. Are you going to bring a grill? I think Bill was bringing the grill. Hmm. You going to bring the meat? Um, maybe. I'll bring beer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Trevor or Josh will bring something that they shot. I'm not designated meat man. That's not my role. No. That's true. That's Trevor and Josh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wild game. Right. It's like the Meat Eater channel. Let someone else take care of that. Yeah. 
All right, Austin, let's get to the tactics, right? Okay, yep. All right, so 20-some years ago, I learned to fish nymphs on the tight line. And my goal was a common one. Put the nymphs on the bottom. That's what I heard from everyone I talked with and everything I read. Put them on the bottom. So that's what I did. I added weight to get the nymphs down to touch the riverbed with my flies. And on most days, honestly, the experience was somewhere between frustrating and maddening. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm, Yes. I mean, seriously. It was a long series of snags, hang-ups, and break-offs mixed in with the occasional burst of fish catching, yes, (laughs) um, when I would somehow get the drift just right. (laughs) I guess I thought that snagging up a bunch was just part of the nymphing game. I dealt with it because I caught trout, and I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, And so I learned to tie the knots and put up with the lost flies. But I would argue this is one of the main reasons many anglers don't enjoy nymphing. (laughs) We want to fish. We don't want to re-rig tippet sections and tie on new flies all day. We don't want to undo snags. We want to be in a rhythm. We just want to fish. (laughs) Back then, my leader was different. I nymphed on a tight line, but with a more general leader. I did experiment with Joe Humphrey's uh, mono rig, uh, but I used it only for deep water tactics and for streamers, as he described in his book. Finally, a few years later, I began using a mono rig in something close to its current formation, what we call the standard trout pit and mono rig. Um, I added a cider and a couple other twists to Joe Humphrey's original design. And suddenly I had tremendous control over the course of my flies underwater. With no fly line out of the guides, the leader sagged and dragged much less. And with a cider built into the leader, it showed me contact, pointed to the flies, indicated their speed, and signaled strikes like the things we've talked about in so many of the other episodes here. By limiting the tippet diameters under the water, the flies rode more predictably. The tippet cut through the currents more evenly, and I was in better contact. And that contact, I learned, meant I was truly in control over the course of my flies, really like never before. And it took only a handful of trips before I realized I could kind of paint the bottom of the river with my nymphs. And that was fun. I had more control over everything. So for years, my goal remained as it had been, to get the nymphs to the bottom and ride them over it, ride them over the river bottom. I hung up less with the long leader because I could move my flies more accurately along the riverbed. My production easily doubled with the new mono rig. And for a while, I was content. That's true. (laughs) Almost. Almost content. (laughs) A good angler, I think, is never really content. (laughs) But one fall morning on my favorite limestoner changed all of that. In a couple hours of fast pocket water action, I stumbled upon one of the most important lessons in nymphing. The nymphs do not need to be on the bottom. In fact, gliding through the strike zone and staying off the bottom usually results in far more trout to the net. Mm. That morning, I finally found the strike zone. But not just by accident. I learned to read my cider to know the speed of the flies. I understood what that signaled about their depth in relation to the riverbed, and I was able to ride my flies in that strike zone over and over. And I kind of have been doing that ever since. Yeah. You ever have a moment like that, Austin? I have, actually. One that springs to mind is a day I spent with Sloop on one of our favorite winter fisheries. And um, we were just working up through a run and been pretty slow for me that morning, but pretty quick for him. And he started just coaching me a little bit more about 
kind of the awareness of where my flies were in relation to the riverbed and the yeah. and the strike zone in itself. And all of a sudden, things just started clicking, and the rest of the day was just like not one after another, but very good for the first time that I'd ever experienced it. And that kind of uh, turned a page for me. Mm. Yeah, I distinctly remember the day I just described, and there's your day. Like, yeah, these are they're big moments. They really are. Yeah, I do think that. The strike zone is one of those moments. And I think that, you know, you could tell stories about other big moments that you had in dry fly fishing and streamer mm-hmm. fishing and yeah. understanding. Just those are, those are goals. Those are milestones right. in, in our fishing career, if you want to call it that. Yeah. When you feel like you've discovered something new or unlocked the next thing, mm-hmm. it's hard to forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always say like fishing memories stick almost no matter huh. what. It doesn't even yeah. have to be remarkable. Yeah. But every time I'm on any section of my home water, mm. I, 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 all these memories come flooding back of fishing with my dad, fishing with my uncle, fishing oh, with my boys, yeah, fishing right. with you and Bill cool. and Josh and uh, so many other people, even just fishing with my old dog instead yeah. of my new dog. Here. Yeah, right. I mean, fishing memories stick. But yeah, once in a while, you get these just landmark days. Mm-hmm. And you just described the day that you do remember about really learning the strike zone. Yep. And I certainly remember that day for me in the fall. And the more I guide, the more people will leave telling me, hey, man, the most important thing that I learned today was this that whole strike zone thing. I didn't cool. get it before. Now I get it. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited to, you know, break all this down. Yep. Awesome. Right. So what is the strike zone, right? Let's just define it. Put some facts around this thing that we're talking about. The strike zone is what? Sure. Um, the strike zone is basically just a cushion of water near the bottom. Yeah. Um, a lot of us know that the top current is faster than the current on the bottom. Right. Okay. You know, there's stuff on the bottom of the river that causes friction. It causes uh, water to slow down, big mm-hmm. rocks, parts of trees, debris. Um, and that really uh, soft cushion of water becomes a nice place for the trout to hang out and a good place for us to drift our flies. Yeah. I mean, we can see the top current. You can't see the bottom. You know, you can't see anything really but the top current. Yeah. Okay, you can look into the water and see that there's a rock down there, but you can't judge the speed of the bottom, you know. Right. So it is that cushion of water. It's a section of water that's just going slower than the rest. And it is going slower, like you said, man. It has to bump into rocks and go around them, bump into logs, go around them, bump into fish, right? (laughs) Yeah. And go around them. It's the friction that slows it down. And I guess I used to think like, well, how much can it really slow down? Sure. know yep. and how deep it how deep can that strike zone really be or let's say yeah. tall how yeah. tall really can that strike zone be off of the bottom what i've come to learn like how deep is the strike zone what i've come to learn is really it depends on the size of the rocks mm. okay yeah let's say that our rivers and maybe yours out there if you're listening are mostly uh, your riverbed is mostly rocks on the bottom if you got a lot of tree parts then sure it, it it's your strike zone is then determined by uh, how big those logs are, right? yeah, those wet logs. Um, in our rivers, in most rivers, it's the size of the rocks. If you have rocks that are sort of double fist sized, then your strike zone is probably going to be about double fist sized or tall, you know, and that's really not mm. too tall. It might be no. six inches, eight inches tall. Yep. There are some rivers that we've fished that really have almost like this pea gravel, you yeah. know, yep. Um, yep. and there aren't very many, uh, big forms of rocks breaking up the flow. So boy, that strike zone is going to be even more narrow or shorter, right? right, Off the bottom. Yep. 
So we are talking about a cushion of water, as you said, that is from the very, very bottom, right up against the rock. And then how tall is it? And again, like if you have a, a river or a section of river with rocks that are, let's say, bowling ball sized, mm-hmm. then you might have a 10, 11, maybe 12 inch tall strike zone. Right on. One of our favorite rivers has a lot bigger rocks on average. And I do find absolutely that that strike zone is taller yeah. than, than my closest home water. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So we can't see the actual strike zone, right? From standing sure. above the standing above yeah. the water, looking down, we can't see where the could. stuff slows down, really. <laughs> right. Uh, so we kind of have to start with an educated guess. Mm. And what I mean by that is, let's say we're standing midstream and we're throwing our tuck casts up and we're sticking the landing, doing all the right steps. And yeah. um, even though we're doing that, we're starting to find contact and stuff gets washed downstream of us a little too quickly. You know, we're, we're, we're with the same current as uh, the top surface. Mm. So you didn't find it yet. Right. And what we can do is start either uh, tucking harder or adding weight in such ways that to drop our flies deeper into the column, deeper Mm -hmm. down towards the river bottom, finding contact and then riding with that and seeing, uh, you know, if things have slowed down or not. So we can kind Mm -hmm. of, again, feel it. We can't see the river bottom, but we can see our cider. Mm -hmm. You just said about feeling it. Uh, One of the quick ways to find your strike zone is find the bottom and then come up a little bit from it. And there's your strike zone. Guaranteed, that's where your strike zone is. Yep. And how deep is it? Yeah, is an educated guess. I kind of guess it by what we just talked about, the the size of the rocks. Mm. And if you fish rivers often enough, you get to know, "Mm, on this river, that strike zone is deep. On the river that I mentioned, it's 12, 14 inches deep sometimes. Yeah, right on. Probably probably most times, you know. Right. But on my home river, I'm going to say it's six inches on average. So that's how I think we can guess the best. And what you're talking about, too, is we are going to, we'll get into this. We're going to read the cider to Mm -hmm. find that strike zone, right? Yeah. But before we kind of jump into that, like how fast is the strike zone? Um, That also depends on the size of the rocks and the other things that break up the flow. Meaning that if you have really big rocks, it's going to break up the flow more and those, that water has to be slowed down more as it goes around a big rock. Big yep. rocks are not just taller, they're wider. Yep. So, the, so the water has to slow down more as it goes around. So bigger substrate on the bottom is going to create a slower strike zone, not just a taller strike zone. So I think it's fair to say that the taller the strike zone, probably the slower the strike zone is too. Mm. And what we mean by slower is in relation, really, to the top current. Right on. Remember that what we can see, what we can really judge is the top current. That's not hard to see. That's a great point. Yeah. You don't even need bubbles to really judge the top Hmm. current. You can see it. Yeah. You can see the speed of the top current. And what we're going to talk about in a minute is judging the speed of the top current in relation to our cider. Great. But the point is that this speed of the strike zone is in relation to the top current. And really, the more that you have breaking it up down there, the more friction there is, well, the slower it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Yep. And again, we can't see that either. We can't see the speed of the strike zone. How fast is that water going? We can't see it. Um, but we can start by recognizing the speed of the top current. That's our uh, relational point for everything that follows. Right on. That's awesome. That's really good. Start with what you can see and then work your way down to what you can't. That's a good point. Yeah, right on. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson 
with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urinimping rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered. And our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to thetacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. Putting together tight line and urinimping fundamentals is crucial, and so is carrying all the right fly patterns all the time. Fooling Mill offers a custom range of fly boxes with a tight line and urinimping angler in mind. The pocket box is perfect for the angler who likes to keep it fast and light, while the Tactical Max has a middle page and can hold up to 960 flies. With the Fooling Mill line of fly boxes, you're covered in every situation. To check out all seven custom fly boxes, head to FoolingMill.com or ask for them at your local dealer. So uh, why is the strike zone important, right? We define what the strike zone is, but why is it important? Why do we care? Sure. Uh, um, everything happens there. Right. Uh, that's where our nymphs, uh, bait fish, crustaceans, trout, uh, they all yeah. live down there. They all like to hang out down there. It's comfortable. It's not very uh, hard for them to, to stay in one place or move around. Um, and trout feed there most often. Um, mm-hmm. They also hold there uh, most of the time in general. Yeah, I think everything does. I mean, everything, like you said, happens at the bottom of the river. Um, trout are efficient. We all acknowledge that. Some will say lazy. That's great, whatever. Trout are not going to hold in the middle of the column very much. They don't yeah. hold at the top of the column very much. Why? Because the water's faster and because they're more exposed. So trout like to be deeper, you know, even if they're sitting in a two-foot deep riffle, they're going to go to the bottom of that riffle yeah. because they're less exposed, so they're more protected, and because the current is uh, much easier to manage down there. They have to, uh, they can conserve energy down there because they don't have to fight as much currents. That's key. They're conservationists. Right. <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out, too, that yeah. you don't have to bump the bottom the whole time to know you're deep enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this this term or this thing that's thrown around if if you ain't ticking, you ain't sticking. Meaning if you're not bumping along the river bottom, you know, you're not going to catch trout. And that's just simply right. not true. I agree. Um, you know, trout don't live with their mouths shoved into the river bottom. They're usually mm-hmm. a couple inches off of it and their belly's a couple inches off the bottom and their mouth's another however high above yeah. that. And right, a few inches up, They're hanging out. Right? They're comfortable. Right. So you don't have to be hitting the every rock along your path. Right. I often say that that's a crutch. Meaning, again, you don't need to touch to catch a lot of fish. And right. I would argue to catch more fish by just getting nice natural drifts that don't touch very much. You're going to tick once in a while when you're, when you're in the strike zone. You're yeah. going to touch a taller rock. Exactly. You know, yep. no, no river bottom is uniform enough. Yep. that You're, never, you're just going to get these perfect strike zone rides. Okay. But if the goal is to just be, I'm going to say six inches off the bottom, like you said, right in the trout's face. Yeah. Then we're not going to touch all that much. We're not going to bump bump, 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 you know? Yep. There are times when we do that. We'll get to that a little bit later. Yep. Yeah, that idea that we need to be touching the bottom so we know where we are, well, that's kind of a starting point. We can do better than that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) We can learn this strike zone like we're talking about. Learn to read this strike zone, find it, and then drift through that instead of touching so much. Right. The real nymphs aren't down there banging their heads against the rocks. (laughs) 
Yep. You know, the real nymphs are down there dead drifting and just drifting along with the current and kind of having their legs out, hoping to find the next rock. Yeah. So maybe the next time you're fishing and you're ticking bottom constantly, and maybe you're used to doing that, think about lifting your rod tip or bringing your flies six inches or three yeah. inches higher than what they are uh, drifting through currently and, and try to ride that zone instead and see what that does for you. Right on. You're not going to be touching bottom. You're not going to be hanging up as much. You're not going to have as many things interrupting your drift. Mm. You're going to be able to drift more efficiently mm. and then also just intercept more trout in general. So think about I it. I love that. So that's a great way to find the strike zone. What mm. you just said, get low enough, bump, 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 bump too much. Yeah. And then lift it a little bit. Maybe you take weight off or you just lead higher or lead lead a little faster. Right. Yep. Uh, you can do a number of things to keep your nymph, well, not so much on the bottom then. If you found the bottom, well, stop trying to touch so much and <laughs> see what happens if you just drift that nymph, arguably more natural, right through the strike zone. So that's a great way to find the strike zone. Get to the bottom and then come up a little bit. And now, really, there's a better way mm-hmm. to find the strike zone. Let's talk about that. Now, okay. all of the things that we've done, you know, we've done the tuck cast, we've stuck the landing, we've recovered slack, you know, and now mm-hmm. we've learned to find contact. Now, here we go. This is why all of that is so important. Because now that we've found contact on our cider, now we can read our cider. Do I have contact with my nymphs? Yes. And now, because I have contact on the cider with the nymphs, I can trust what that cider is telling me about the nymphs. That cider is more influenced by the nymphs and their position in the water column than it is by my rod tip, if I'm doing things right. Mm -hmm. And we are. We're doing things right. We're only recovering the slack that is given to us. We have great contact, and now we can trust the cider. And so we can see the effect that the nymph is having on our cider. Generally, what we're really talking about is the speed of that cider. Yeah, and you mentioned speed just now. So I think when we find uh, the strike zone and mm. we've got the contact, we see a, a slowdown That's or maybe it. like a downshift in the speed, mm-hmm. um, kind of like we were talking how the, the river bottom's slower on the bottom, right? Yeah. And when we see that happen, we know we've reached the strike zone successfully. And that's it. I mean, that's it right there. The most important thing in this podcast probably is what you just said. It's that slowdown. When you Mm. see it, there's only one thing that can slow your cider down. Mm. Think about that. You can't slow your cider down. You can speed it up. You can't slow it down. Yeah. The nymphs being in a different water column, a slower water column than the top current, that's what can slow your cider down. You said downshift. I think uh, Devin Olson is the first one that I heard say that, and I thought Hmm. that's brilliant. Yeah. There you go. I love it. Just a downshift, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'd call it a slowdown or whatever else. And now I've started saying downshift to people. And that kind of clicks it clicks in people's brains. Yep. Yep. And they go, ooh, I see that. Oh, there's, a, there's the downshift. I'm like, yep, that's it. That's cool. Again, there's only one thing that can slow it down. Only one thing that can create that downshift effect. And it's that your nymph found a different current, a slower current uh, than than your top current and a slower current than, than what your cider was indicating that your yeah. nymphs were in. And that current is your strike zone. So now that we found the strike zone, uh, how do we keep our flies there? Yeah, right on. So, I mean, that, we're going to get to that really in the next podcast, especially when we talk about guiding the flies. But we'll touch on this here. If the goal is to dead drift nymphs in the strike zone at strike zone speed, 
then really once that depth is achieved, then we don't want to let the flies fall anymore. When we talked about the lift and lead in a previous episode, when we were mm-hmm. talking about recovering slack, I often will lift to allow the flies to drop. And as soon as I see that cider downshift, now I'm going to lead. Nice. And so I'll almost be robotic about it. I'm lifting, I'm lifting, there's my strike zone, now I lead. Nice. <laughs> And that's how I'll keep them in the strike zone without letting them drop anymore. That's yeah. the thing to understand. They're in the strike zone. Don't let them drop because right. the next thing is they're going to touch. And then they're not going to look as natural. And then you're going to hang up. Then you're going to stick. Then you're going to get out of your rhythm. You're going to have to stop fishing, go get your snag or break off, yep. retie flies. Yep. Keep them coming through the strike zone. When you see that downshift, do something. Mm. It does not allow those flies to drop anymore. Yeah. You found the strike zone. Keep them coming. Right. And I think once you do, it's important to maintain whatever almost settings you have. You Ooh, know, I like, yeah, uh, settings. maintain your angles on your cider. On the cider. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cider maintain, settings. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Download them. <laughs> yep. Get the trumpet and presets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, maintain cider angles and then also maintain the same speed because that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's important too. Right. You found the speed of the strike zone. So just continue to match that speed. Don't yeah. change the speed. Right. Don't go faster. Don't go slower. Right. And don't drop the rod tip and don't change the cider angle. Mm. Mm-hmm. These, things are hard. <laughs> These things are hard to do. I feel like we're saying this in every episode. Right. These are advanced tactics in large part because all of this happens so fast. We're not getting 30 second drifts, right. you know, we're yeah. getting five, 10 second drifts, exactly. almost at the most 10 seconds, you know, yeah. we're getting sometimes three, four, five second drifts. And yet we're doing all of these things, everything that we've covered in all of these episodes, even up to this point and beyond, we're doing all of them in those five seconds yeah. and then bam, take it out, back cast, put it right back in. And then we learn something with every drift and we make it better, make it better, make it better. Okay. No fish eight on to the next lane. Like we talked about in the first episode of yeah. angle and approach. So we acknowledge that this is kind of difficult, you know, but there's some ways to make it easier and some things that I think about and, and I'll, I'll try to teach as I'm guiding too. But one of them is to imagine the nymphs beyond your cider, see beyond the cider and really imagine the position of your nymphs down there. Okay. You're going to see beyond your cider. You're going to see into the water, look into the water. You're probably not going to see your nymph most days, most river conditions. But if yep. you imagine the position of your nymph, and then you're reading your cider. It's in your vision. You're going to see when you get that slow down and that strike zone, great. Like we said, continue with the same speed, the same angle, the same depth. But imagine where your nymph is. And you're going to see subtle changes that you need to make, you know, as it needs to go around a rock or there's a bit of a pothole. So we will let it fall a little bit yep. so we can continue to be in the strike zone and then come yep. up. When you can really force yourself to see beyond that cider, to imagine the position of your nymphs, Everything I think gets a lot easier for this strike zone stuff. And that's a good point. Um, what you just made of uh, mentioning you know, remembering there's a rock there, going lifting so you can drop into a pothole. Mm-hmm. You know, make every cast with intention and also pay attention during each drift of what's mm-hmm. going on. So you can take that information and apply it to the very next cast and then move on. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's data gathering, like you've said. Yeah. It's making every cast better than the next. And then, yeah, then you do move on. It might take six, seven, eight, nine, ten drifts yeah. through one lane to get that perfect one. And then I'll repeat it maybe once or twice even if I love the spot. And then yep. I'll be satisfied. And I'll go, I got it. I got it. I got a nice strike zone ride through there. Yeah. On a good day, the trout eat it. Yeah. 
I'll say something too. I think that there's sometimes, you know, deeper water um, can have a mid column that is slower mm. than the surface as well. So yeah. we may start at the, the top, which is the fastest, mm-hmm. and then we go mid column, maybe that's medium pace. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the straight to the strike zone, and that's kind of the slowdown and the, the yeah. downshift there. And I'll say, in the deepest water, I find that just because I see a downshift doesn't necessarily mean that I'm all the way down into the strike zone. I've been mm. fooled plenty of times, you know, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. I'll see a downshift and I'll go, there I go. But yep. maybe I was just in the mid column, like you were talking, or the lower mid column, something that is significantly slower than the surface current, which I can see. Yep. And all of a sudden I go, there I go, I got it. That's why a lot of times, if I really love the lane and I think mm-hmm. I'm in a strike zone, but I'm not ticking, I'm not touching at all. Yeah. It's kind of unusual. Again, I expect to tick or touch a tall rock once in a while or to hang up. It's still going to happen. Yep. You're not going to get perfect drifts. Yep. If that is not happening and I think I'm in the strike zone, if I love the lane before I leave it, I will purposely touch a nice. couple times through that drift. And I'll, I'll get stubborn and I'll say, I'm going to touch. I'm going to make sure that I know where my strike zone is. I touched. Now I can be a little bit above that. That's my angle. That's my, that's my depth. Yep. Reading all that again on the cider, I can trust it because I have contact. Yep. And you have to be careful because in the deepest water, especially, I think, you'll find that you'll, you'll have slower water before you hit the strike zone even. Yeah, and it can be surprising how much space there is to cover sometimes until you do find the bottom. Yeah, right on. Yeah, easy to get fooled into that one. Mm-hmm. You know, and like we said, the real nymphs are not down there banging their heads against the rocks. Mm-hmm. They're drifting in that strike zone. That's where we want to be, not mid-column. So it's important not to be fooled into believing that we're in the strike zone when we're in mid-column, okay? We have to get all the way down yep. into that strike zone usually to pick up most of the fish. Most of the trout are going to respond to nymphs that are in the strike zone. Yes, absolutely. Trout will rise and take, you know, mayflies, caddis that are emerging. Yep. That's fantastic. Those are great days. Yeah. And sometimes then the strike zone is not our ultimate target. A lot of times I'll find that they're eating my tag fly, which is, let's say, 20 inches up Yeah, right. from my point fly. And I'll go, you know what? Everything is eating my tag. Why don't I put two flies mm. that are above the strike zone? And I'll, I'll try to start riding that way. And sometimes that doubles my catch rate. Yeah, that's cool. Right. I mean, it's not always about the strike zone. But boy, that's our default. That's our baseline. Right now in the winter, if you aren't getting the strike zone or really even lower, you're not catching fish. Not around here. Most days, they are not eating flies mid-column or certainly upper mid or top water stuff. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Especially this time of year, like you mentioned. Um, You alluded to this a second ago, but Mm. clean, perfect strike zone rides are, they're they're difficult, right? It's elusive. Yeah. Yeah. And and we are going to tick the bottom occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not saying that the only right way to do this is to ride perfectly free and clear of any obstruction (laughs) all the time. Right. We expect once in a while we're going to touch, but we're not touching multiple times throughout the same five second mm-hmm. drift. We're going to touch, you know, once, once a drift, once every couple of drifts. Mm-hmm. And that's good enough. Yeah. Good point. So for me, again, the baseline that my default thing to do is to find strike zone rides. And then I'll deviate from that. Sometimes above that strike zone on purpose, like I just said, emerging insects. Now, a lot of times, and I want to point this out, make sure we explain this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes strike zone rides are not deep enough or slow enough. And again, here in the wintertime is when I will ride, well, let's say lower than the strike zone. I will get a lot of bottom contact to actually slow my flies down. Yeah. 
And maybe it's that tick in the bottom, uh, that stuttering effect on the fly too. Mm. Maybe it attracts trout in a way that pure, clean strike zone rides don't. Yeah. I don't know. And it's not just in the wintertime. There are plenty of days when trout aren't eaten. And I think, all right, I'm getting nice strike zone rides. Let me get even lower. Nice. And so I'll either use a drop shot rig or I'll get a nymph that can even just kind of touch, 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 you know, yep. stutter down there and without hanging up too much. Yeah. It's an important thing. Strike zone is your baseline, but you have to be willing to deviate from that too. So in the same way we can read a strike zone on our cider, we can also do the same thing with an indicator, right? Oh, um, yeah. You know, whether that be a, a Dorsey, whether it be a, a Pinch-On, whether it be a, a Thingamabobber, mm-hmm. um, that same downshift, that same slowdown uh, can be seen in an indicator on the, on the surface. Sure can. We've talked in this entire Nine Essential Skills series about tight line and uranymphing. But we talked about this in a previous podcast in yep. uh, season one, that we use the mono rig, tight line rig for all kinds of presentations. And I know you do this a lot. I do it a lot. I'll put yeah. an indie right on my mono rig, below my cider, on the top of my tippet section. And then we take all of these tight line principles over to an indie. It's not really what we're addressing here in the skills yep. series. Right. But you made a great point. The same downshift you read on the cider, you can read it on your indie. I find a lot of people that believe, well, that indie is always just going to go surface current speed because, mm. hey, it's on the surface. So it has to be influenced by the surface. Yeah. I'll grant you that it's influenced by the surface. But if you're taking tight line principles to your indie, meaning you have no leader on the water and you are seriously tight from your rod tip to your indie with no influence, no yeah. drag on the water, yeah. then that indie is going to be bossed around much more by the flies below it than the surface current. Mm. You will see just like you'll see it on the cider, that downshift, that slowdown, indicating once again that your nymph has reached that strike zone. Yeah, it's very obvious too when it happens. You can see it. it is. Like the thingamabobber will set down. The dorsey will do the same thing. It'll kind of drop down into the water a little bit. You'll see it mm-hmm. gain the weight of the flies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, there it is. There's, there's no mistaking it. Like it's not a gradual thing often. It's, uh, there it is. <laughs> right. And you learn to expect it. Yeah. And you do learn to expect it. It's a timing, something that's predictable. Right. Um, again, once you're gathering a, a data from the cast before, those things become predictable. And when that doesn't happen, you know something needs to change and you change it. Right on. That's one of the best things that we can do is be sure that we are reaching the strike zone. If you're not catching fish, start to watch your drifts. And let's go back to your tight lining with a cider mm-hmm. and see, is that cider ever slowing down? If it's not, if yeah. it's always going top current speed, your flies are not in the strike zone. Your yeah. flies are above the strike zone. I can almost promise you that. Anything else, Austin? I would mention uh, on days that it's particularly slow mm-hmm. and I'm not catching many trout and I'm kind of uh, wondering what's going on. That's This is one of my most favorite things to focus on is okay. I can change flies, sure. Um, but I like to also try to dial in or really pay extra attention to where I'm one riding my flies in the strike zone or kind of like Mm -hmm. you talked about a little bit earlier, deviating from that strike zone. Mm -hmm. And when things are slow, it gives me the chance to slow down myself and say, okay, what have I been doing the same all day long? Okay. Let's change what I've been doing. Let's ride a little higher. Let's ride a little lower. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is entertaining too, right? So that keeps us in the game. That keeps us fishing Mm -hmm. hard and that keeps us, you know, working upstream. 
I love it. Yeah, it focuses you. It gives mm-hmm. you something new to focus on. Yeah. And then you don't go home. You go, I'm going to do better. Exactly. I'm going to see if I can ride above the strike zone. Oh, that didn't work. Now I'm going to see if I can ride below the strike zone. But it's hard to do either one of those unless you really know where the strike zone is. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so there it is. That's number six of the Essential Tightline and Euronymphing Skills series, uh, locating the strike zone. Remember that each of these podcast episodes is supported by a companion article on the Trout Bitten website. And in this case, there are three dedicated articles about the strike zone on Trout Bitten with some diagrams and other information that we didn't talk about here. The links to that series, along with links for other helpful and relevant Trout Bitten articles, are in the show notes for this podcast. Unlocking this knowledge, understanding the strike zone, and then finding it and drifting your flies there is perhaps the most pivotal moment in your nymphing skills progression. It really changes everything. So the next skill in this series of nine is about guiding the flies. Yes, we'll finally talk about how to take those flies to the trout. So look for that one, Guiding the Flies, in your Trout Bitten podcast feed. There are nine episodes in this Essential Skills series, so subscribe to the Trout Bitten podcast and follow along. You know what to do, Austin. I got it. So remember, ChopBitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Thank you so much for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast, and please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, too, because that really does help us out. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.